Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We continue our summer sermon series as we look at the passage in Romans that we are all memorizing together. In this sermon, we look at what devotion might look like. It's connected to one of the four types of love. Can you guess which one? You're listening to Be Devoted to One Another in Love by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning, as it is all summer, is Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, found on page 1,762 in your pew Bibles. I ask that you take out your Bibles. Uh, If you're visitors, um, I will not simply be reading this passage to the congregation. We will be reciting it together because it is our goal and our fervent hope that uh, we will uh, memorize this passage this summer And uh, I I report to you some progress is being made, or some progress, depending on if you're Canadian or not. (laughs) That I see people are getting better at this, and I know there's at least one family in the congregation who who is assisting this process, and you may try this too if you're struggling, by they have motions with the passage, which is a really good way of memorizing it. So anyway, that's just a suggestion. Other suggestion is um, I'm going to be on vacation the next two Sundays, so we will not be in this this sermon series. And um, I I, I urge you not to uh, give up on your memorization. So over the next two weeks, do not be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor (laughs) memorizing the passage. All right, let us say these words that The Holy Spirit is using to form us this summer. Let's say them together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you will be heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So be devoted to one another in love. 
honor one another above yourselves. That is the part of this passage that we're opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's leading, the Holy Spirit's formation this summer. That's the part of this passage that we will meditate together on this morning. And as we do, I think you will see that this is a passage which gets us down into the fine texture, the nitty-gritty of love. And why do I say that? Well, at first, I think when you hear Paul say, be devoted to one another in love, you might think he is simply repeating the opening of our passage, right? Which says, love must be sincere, right? Which is, we said was sort of the, the heading of the whole passage. And when you hear love must be sincere, and then you hear be devoted to one another in love, you might think, well, he's just sort of restating the same thing. Paul's saying the same thing again in a different way. But I don't think that's quite right. Because the words for love that Paul uses in verse 10 are completely different than at the beginning. We said in verse 9 at that opening statement, Paul uses that important, that strong, that heavy word agape, right? Agape is the kind of love he's talking about when he says love must be sincere, and that's that self-sacrificial love of God that pours out from the heart of God, and that saves us. Agape is that sacrificial love of God that Jesus poured out on the cross. So it's that really important, central to our faith kind of love. But in verse 10, when Paul says to be devoted to one another in love, he uses completely different words. He uses Philadelphia and Philostorge. Philadelphia and Philostorge. Now, Philadelphia, I won't talk much about that today. You know what that word means if you know that Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. Philadelphia means brotherly love. Storge is a really interesting word. Now, you all know C.S. Lewis. Maybe you know that C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in that book, The Four Loves, he looks at each of the four Greek words for love used in the New Testament. So that's agape, which I already talked about, sacrificial love. Eros, which is attraction-based love, like romance and beauty. Philia, which is in Philadelphia, which is like um, friend love. And then he uses storge. Storge, Lewis calls affection. What is this affection? What is this storge? I want to focus on that at the beginning of this sermon because what's really interesting is that this is the only time in all his writings that Paul uses this word storge for love. So obviously, when he uses it, he wants us to understand something very specific when he says, be devoted to one another in love. So what is storge? Storge is kind of a, a friendly affection, a kind of friendly affection that lives between people as they do daily life together. A lot of times when the Greeks used the word, it was a family affection. So they used it often for the love between a parent and their kids or love between brothers and sisters. Uh, to be fully honest, they also use storge for the love that a dog shows to its master. So that shows you, it's, we're not talking about something fancy here, right? We're not talking about some sort of highfalutin love. Storge is something very down-to-earth, very down-to-earth affection. So if I had to define it, I would say, Storge is an everyday affection that we have for the people with whom we do life. Storge is an everyday affection, often light-hearted, for the people with whom we do ordinary life. 
So Storgi lo loves the people we do life with, and, and it's often then focused on what's unique about that person, often their quirks or their idiosyncrasies. Now, let me give you an example so we can really nail this down. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law passed away in November, as I think most of you know. We miss her terribly, and she was a woman of, of many strengths. Um, but what we also loved about my mother-in-law was that in addition to her strengths, she had some wonderful, lovable quirks. So for instance, if you ever came into Lois Dykstra's house and she happened to be alone, if you knocked on the door and came in, she would always say, and I told this story in the funeral as well, she would always say, yoo-hoo, every time, every time. And it was something that we laughed about and we would always say, yoo-hoo, back. It was just one of her quirks and very endearing. My mother-in-law also had a thing for rain bonnets. And rain bonnets, most of you younger folk, you have no idea what a rain bonnet is. Um, but a rain bonnet is like this sort of plastic thing that you pull over your head and tie under your chin. My mother-in-law uh, really loved rain bonnets. She always had a couple in her purse. If she was in the car, there were a couple in the glove compartment. She never wanted to be out of reach of a rain bonnet because if there was a hint of the possibility, of the chance, of a whisker of moisture in the air, she would grab that rain bonnet and tie it around her head. Now, those of you who do know rain bonnets, and I'm sorry, Mom, if you can hear this, um, they're, not, they're not a good look. They're not a good look. <laughs> if you wear a rain bonnet around, it's, it's, you're, it's just a shade better than wearing a, a shower cap in public. <laughs> so, as her children and in-laws, when mom would put on a rain bonnet, we would, we would laugh at her in a nice, lighthearted way. And she didn't care. She, she laughed right with us, and she tied her rain bonnet tighter. Now, whatever I said about rain bonnets, and however we poked fun at mom for rain bonnets at the time, now, when I see rain bonnets, or a person in a rain bonnet, I feel affection. I feel warmth. I think of my mother-in-law, and I feel a kind of love. That love is storge. It's not, it's not agape. There's nothing sacrificial about it. It's not eros, because as we've established, rain bonnets are not beautiful. It's storge. It's a warm affection for my mother-in-law's idiosyncrasies and the person that made her who she is. Here's another way to think of storge. When I talked about agape in the first sermon in this series, I said that people, when they tell stories at funerals, stories of their loved ones at funerals, the agape stories are the ones that make people cry because they're the stories of sacrifice and what that person has given up for them. People also tell storge stories at funerals and they're the ones that make people smile and laugh as you did at the rain bonnet story. In our verse, Paul is calling us to have that kind of storge amongst us. Be devoted to one another love means to have that kind of lighthearted affection for the people who do life with us in the congregations of Jesus Christ. Eugene Peterson translates that phrase, be good friends who love deeply. You might translate it, love each other in all your quirkiness with family affection. Now, you can see that if storge is a love that's going to live between people, it's a love that requires time. 
time together dwelling with one another is essential in developing storge uh, because it takes some time with a person first to know their quirks and then to learn to love them. It's because I spend an enormous amount of my time with my colleagues that I know that Bob Grusing likes to tap his orange with a paring knife before he eats it. Don't ask me why, ask Bob. But I have affection for that. It's because I spend a lot of time with Mike that I know he has an inordinate love of hummus. Don't ask me why. <laughs> so time, time with each other is essential in developing this light-hearted storge that lives between people. The Holy Spirit is calling us to this way calling us to be comfortable with one another at this level, to spend enough time with one another that we start to have this sort of lighthearted affection, that we know each other's quirks, and that we love them. Now, of course, we can't all do that with everybody. There's way too many people here. But in the family of God, there will be a few people who you know that well and who know you that well. Now, why is that important? Why does storge matter? Why does laughing at my mother's rain bonnets or anything like that matter within the... This, is this some sacred purpose? Is there some divine purpose for something as lighthearted as storge? Absolutely there is. Because when you know someone well enough both to know their quirks and to laugh at them together, you are very close to that person indeed. And it is that kind of closeness, that kind of lightheartedness, that is the ground for other more important virtues like trust and honesty. Storge is the soil in which these deeper things of relationship grow. It's the ground of healthy conflict. A few years ago, uh, the staff and I, um, under Mike's suggestion, read a great little book called The Five Dysfunctions of Team, which is a management book written by Patrick Lencioni. And one of the things we learned from that book is that one of the things you can tell when a team is unhealthy, they never fight. Uh, if a bunch of colleagues never fight or never disagree, that's a sign that they are unhealthy. Now, why is that a sign that they're unhealthy? It's because every human being disagrees sometime. And if you never see that disagreement on the surface, it's a sign they don't trust each other or know each other enough to say what they really think. Storge is the kind of stuff you spend time like that, you can tell someone what you really think and still embrace afterwards and still know that you'll walk together. To use the image I used last week where the church is the sail, the church is a boat, and we are the sails that the Holy Spirit fills that propels the boat forward, storge is like something that knits the fabric of the sails. When we love each other with storge, the sail gets a broader area, and the Holy Spirit can fill it because it's not just one of us, it's us together. Healthy churches need to nurture storge, which means healthy churches need fellowship committees. And these fellowship committees need to plan things like church picnics and Klondike bars in the parking lot after the service and bowling outings. And healthy churches need softball teams and golf leagues and these things are not trivial. They're part of what builds storge in this community. The Holy Spirit is at work in these things. Storge is not noble like agape. It is not beautiful like eros. It does not take your breath away.
but it is essential work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a healthy church. That's the first of the two phrases in our verse today. That's be devoted to one another in love. Let's look at the second part. The two are, of course, connected. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. To think about what that means, let's look at, again, the Greek word for honor, which is timē. And in the Greek sense of the word, and it's in the English sense of the word too, uh, what we honor is what we give value. When we honor something, we give it status and we give it value. So when it comes to persons, who do we honor? In our natural state, whose status are we prone to think most about? Whose honor are we prone to think most about? I think you know the answer. It is our own. That's just how we are wired. That's sin in us, right? We think of our own status, our own standing first. If I were to ask one of you to come up here and read a Bible passage in front of everyone, or worse, if I were to ask you to come up here and sing a song in front of everyone, when you sat down, what's the first thing you'd be thinking of? How did I do? Did I make a complete fool of myself? Was I unpitched? Did I stumble? Or did I do okay? Your, your mind goes right away to your own status, your own performance. It's just how we work. And preachers deal with this too. This is something preachers struggle with. Especially if you're just starting out in a church or if you're starting out in ministry, when you preach, you, it's very hard because you're a sinful person like everyone else, not to think about your own status. How am I doing? Do people like me? Are they responding to me? Am I connecting with people? That's where you start. But as you spend time with a congregation, something changes. What happens is you get to know the people and what's going on in their life, and what you find, and every preacher will tell you this, is you start to think, as you write your sermon and preach, you start to think about them. As you write, you think, oh, I know that person's going through this. I want to say something in my sermon that speaks to him. Or I know that she's really in mourning. I want to say something that speaks to her. Or I know that young person is struggling with his faith. I hope I can say something that breaks through that. You start thinking so much about your own honor, and just naturally, you start to honor others above yourself. Now, you never stop thinking about yourself because you're still a broken person, but you can feel the shift. And here's the important thing. It's way more fun to do it the second way. When you're up here preaching, thinking about your own status, and if you're connecting with the people who are listening to you, preaching is hard, but it's also just, it's soul-crushing. It's no good. But when you make that transition to start thinking about people, it's wonderful. It's great. It's a joy. And this is not just a preaching thing. You all know the truth of this from your daily lives. It is horrible to be in a job or to be doing a task where you feel like everybody's watching you and you're parentally worried about your status and how people are judging you. If you're in a job like that or in a task like that, it crushes your soul. But if you're in a job where you could be working equally as hard, but you're blessing people and you're focused on blessing those people, that's a joy. We all know this is true. Even unbelievers, if you're not a Jesus person and you happen to be in this congregation today, or if you're not a Jesus person and you're, and you're watching on live stream, you know this. Everybody knows this. 
Doing a job where we feel like we're always worried about our honor and status is soul-crushing. Doing something where we forget ourselves is the greatest thing in the world. What I want us all to see is that that's because of Jesus. That's how Jesus made us. That's what Jesus showed us when he lived life on this world. We are made to honor others above ourselves. We are made to give ourselves away like musicians lost in ensemble music, like children lost in a long game of tag at the long recess on the playground. We are made to honor one another above ourselves. Our obedience is not meant to be cold duty. It's meant to be joy. And that's who Jesus was, right? It's all Jesus did on his time on earth is honor others above himself. He left the important and sat down with children and blessed them. He ate with Pharisees, tax collectors, sinners. He ate with the despised people, even though he knew that would ruin his reputation, that it would damage his honor. He got down, as Mike read earlier, at the feet of his disciples and washed them, which was not an honorable place. And of course, Jesus honored you above himself. For the sake of you and your honor and your salvation, he suffered the dishonor of the cross. The cross, which is absolutely designed to strip every bit of honor you have and every bit of dignity. Naked, bleeding, moaning on the cross for you and your salvation, for your joy. So people of Jesus, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, and live in the joy of your Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the depth of your word. Thank you for the enormous concepts and the broad principles that we can learn, but thank you, Lord, sometimes that your word speaks to the most common and ordinary kitchen table places of our life. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is operating in not only in great moments of salvation, but in small moments of laughter when we live together with the people we love. Fill us with your spirit this week. May every part of our life be praise. Amen.